Welcome to another episode of Ethnic Discourses. I am your host, Malik Abdul Khalik. When most people think about Jamaica, an image is conjured of a paradise-like island in the Caribbean, wherein is a suitable retreat for vacationing. Sounds of reggae, popular because Robert Nestle Marley was born there, are easily associated, as well as the scrumptious variety of foods that smack every inch of the palate when sampled and enjoyed. Today, I have the pleasure and honor of speaking with the owner and top chef of The Plate Kitchen and Jamaican Cuisine in Sacramento, California. So please join me and enjoy this robust conversation. Welcome back to my podcast show, Ethnic Discourses. Again, I have the pleasure and the honor of being joined in today's robust conversation with the owner and top chef at Dub Plate Kitchen, Jamaican Cuisine. Her name is Sunny. Welcome to my podcast show. Sunny, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, and thank you very much for having me here today. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Look, I've been in your restaurant a number of times. I can count hands. So I know you, but why don't you share a little bit of information about yourself and your establishment so that our listeners uh, can feel very much welcome in this intimate conversation. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the platform. Um, well, my name is Wolete Rati. Um, Atali is the marriage name, um, but I'm better known as Sunny. Um, and I am the owner and creator of the Plate Kitchen, the Plate Kitchen Jamaican Cuisine. All right. We're the only Jamaican restaurant in Sacramento at this moment. And I've been living here in the Sacramento area for maybe about seven years now. Um, my roots, though, are from Jamaica and the East Coast. So coming from Jamaican parents and also growing up in Jamaica, um, part of my life, I've also had the opportunity to come to America and gain American experience. So with my business, I've tried to fuse the culture for those people who um, love Jamaican culture, love Jamaican food, but don't get the opportunity of getting it all the way here in California. And um, <laughs> yes, that, that's a that's a lovely back that's a lovely backfield experience. So with your with your coming to America, um, what has what was the hardest part about striving to be the best in your field? Because like you said, you're the only Jamaican restaurant in the larger Sacramento region. Um, so, and it's the only Jamaican restaurant, the best Jamaican restaurant. <laughs> so, so again, asking that question, what, what was the hardest part about striving to be the best in your field compounded by, you know, your, uh, immigration here? Um, well, let me see. Well, I can say definitely, um, the hardest part about, you said this field, um, is the fact that I have to wear many hats. Um, understanding the culture, first of all, here in the eyes of many people. Um, you know, Jamaican culture, we're known for the music and sometimes the food, but I've noticed the difference between uh, with the migration from the East Coast to California. Um, there was a lot more education needed to the locals. Um, many of them were not introduced to the cuisine and probably have not even they have never had any exposure to the culture um so 
with me trying to preserve the culture and trying to educate people out here, I think one of the hardest struggles I had was was just being able to represent it to the to the fullest of my ability due to the lack of resources um, mm-hmm. that that I have access to being all the way here in California. Um, so one of the struggles we have with the restaurant is not having enough items from the Caribbean come here to the West Coast. Um, the East Coast is filled up with Caribbean markets and they have a larger Caribbean population. But unfortunately here on the East, on the West Coast, we don't have such a large um, Caribbean population. And we also have a shortage of like traditional ingredients. So I think that's one of my hardest struggles as far as the restaurant um, being here in California and with my and probably, mm-hmm. and, it, and thank you very much. It'd probably be safe to conclude also that in the absence of some of those more cultural resources, uh, maybe like Escovich, I don't know, <laughs> um, to be able to magically transform those into some of the more culturally relevant dishes that are that you want to work with or plentifully on display in Jamaica. Um, I think that's what I think that's what I hear you talking to. What do you think is what do you think is conducive? I know you. I heard you say earlier um, that maybe because of the lack of uh, population of, of those from Jamaica. So, you think anything else is conducive to those lack of resources maybe being provided for small businesses like yourself? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have any anything on that? Well, I think there's a need for more black. Um, black owned and Caribbean um, just black owned import export businesses I think that it's a market that we're, we're not involved in and I think that um, we need to really look into it some more so one thing I would have probably thought learned before getting into this business is probably import export um, business especially when you're dealing with things from you know Africa, the Caribbean, and so forth. I think that if we, um, not only do we know the culture, but if we had access and created our own access to our culture, that um, mm-hmm. and also had a gateway for other people to, to get that access, because we're, it would be a firsthand um, experience. Instead of us having to go to, you know, I'm, I don't have any disagreements, but the Caribbean markets are ran by Asians. So if we, you know, our people had more um, more interest in the import-export business, I think that we'd be able to facilitate the needs and create that, um, create the opportunity for us to have more direct contact with our cultural products and resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's, and that's very wonderful that you say that because it's, uh, ethnic discourses, this this platform, this venue, if you will, is very much a mashup of politics, you know, and all those things that come together that constitute a people. And, you know, since we're all ethnic folk, uh, we're going to be rich in some of those robust conversations. So as I heard you saying, the lack of means of transporting goods from Africa, you know, and, and from the Caribbean here, you know what had me think. You know what had me thinking of. I had me thinking of. So as a run up to, to this episode, I introduced this episode respecting that when individuals think about Jamaica, usually what comes to mind is either a the scrumptious food that 
uh, is hopscotches across their palate, you know, or be the reggae music. And sometimes we find, and most times we find that within the reggae music is politics. Now, also, I forgot to add as a run-up to this episode that for some of us, a lot of us who are woke, when we mention Jamaica, we also think about Marcus Aurelius Garvey. (laughs) And you and I, and you and I, hey, and the and the purpose of the Black Star Line. So when you're when you're talking about those absence of resources or means of uh, for Black folk, you know, Black people, those of African ancestry, to control how they how things moved about, that had me thinking about that. <laughs> that had me thinking about that. And yeah. um, I would say that that is part of my driving force as well. Um, growing up, fortunately of Jamaican culture, but also coming from Rastafarian parents. We definitely hold the philosophy of the UNIA movement, you know, to our core. You know, I grew up in a household where when we got in trouble, daddy would say, go and open up the book of Marcus Garvey and write. <laughs> out, copy the entire page of the book and read it out loud to me when you're finished. And um, so growing up, we were all, Marcus Garvey, the whole idea of the entrepreneurial spirit, back to Africa movement, um, you know, just being conscious of self culture, African identity and being proud of it. But not only being proud of it, but making something of it was um, something that kind of kept me grounded and rooted and also put the fire in me to want to create. And, um, an opportunity for business for myself and for others to also see and, and a great example, you know, for the culture as well. Um, yeah. So Marcus Garvey was big on the black star line. Um, that that's even where the import export concept even comes in because you, you want to, you, we want, we don't want our culture to be over by vultures you know and um, one thing I've noticed is that you know personally I know a lot of reggae musicians met them come across them in my life and many of them have music playing on the radio here but they've never received royalties and I've gone to many cultural festivals or even reggae festivals or world music festivals and you have these artists come up here and they might get a one-day gig and they go out and perform and they might receive a little change but You know, I've noticed that other people are coming into our culture and they're Mm -hmm. getting a lot of recognition and they're benefiting from it, but it's not originally theirs. So that is something I found when I decided to get into the restaurant business here in California. Moving to California showed me that I have to defend our culture and Mm -hmm. the, the, art of and what it looked like to defend the culture came through having food incorporate music and um education so this is this is my you know opportunity here to encourage the whole entrepreneurial spirit but also to preserve the culture yes 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 food food land and shelter um, and un- unfortunately, neo-colonialism has manifested itself, you know, in many uh, variable hydra-headed uh, manifestations, you know, and some of those manifestations appear as individuals, you know, who may be doing the 
the dirty work, you know, of those who are seemingly keeping them oppressed yes. um, and playing the music and providing entertainment yeah. for them. So with that being said, you know, and, and I and I love very much that you just came right out the, the gate and <clears throat> talked about the Black experience and whatnot. So, you know, we currently have two pandemics that are sweeping across the world, but much less sweeping across the United States of America. One in the form of COVID-19 and the other one that's been running simultaneous and has been deeply ensconced within uh, the land here for 400 plus years, and that has been institutional and systemic racism. So we're yeah. seeing, so we're seeing the outpouring of energy, you know, and and spice. When I'm saying spice, I'm thinking about uh, jerk chicken, you know, spice yeah. or a lot you know, spice that's that's helping and accompanying the constitution of individuals who are out in the streets. So I have a question. So how has the Black Lives Matter movement um, have it changed at all? Um, the business that you've been receiving or your direction with which you wanted to develop cultural expression or help folk to see the nexus of black folk and their black and their African diaspora and Jamaican Americans being uh, representative of that very much. Well, you know, it's so funny. I'm glad that you asked that question. Um, yeah. So the black lives matter movement has definitely um, been the positive effects of it has been visible within our business. Um, there was, during the protest, the beginning of the protest, there was about two weeks where there was a call to support local businesses. Um, our businesses benefited by that. I can say we definitely felt the love and the support from people of all walks of life. That a whole experience, I would say, lasted for about two weeks and it mm. increased our profits by about 30% mm-hmm. um, on a daily basis. And we felt the immediate support from individuals. And um, when when the protests commenced or it started to die down, then I realized the state went into a lockdown not after that. So we definitely felt the hurt of that. But I can say for those two weeks that the movement um, that the um, support for local black black businesses was there, we felt that we felt the um, the nonetheless, um, the black lives movement itself. Is something I think that we 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 had that as as a business and as a community of people. Um, I went into business for this purpose, for Black lives, for the education of Black people here in America. With the movement now, what it has done is allowed a new avenue of hope for us here who who are already doing some groundwork for us to have a place, you know, a, a place where we can, um, you know hopefully gain more opportunity exposures and recognition. Um, you know, I was saying to somebody the other day, like, you know, you have Chinese food Fridays or, you know, yes. out Thursdays and so forth. But I think Taco like, Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. You know, those concepts. Yes. Why don't we have um, you know, I don't know, African diaspora diaspora Sundays, you know, or something like that. Well, so, you- you just, you just said it. Yes. So this is what I um, am hoping that the movement, as it continues, can eventually evolve into. You, you just said it, and it's been promoted. 
Sonny and we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement uh, that has been sweeping across not only the streets of Sacramento here in California, but also across uh, the United States and also across the nation has had an impact. So we were talking about uh, Marcus Garvey. We were talking about the Un- Universal Negro Improvement Association. We were talking about the Black Star Line. We were talking about all these things that Marcus Garvey had created in essence to make this large world a smaller world for people in the African diaspora. So would you be in a, you would be in agreement with that, right? Well, most definitely. <laughs> Almost definitely. You know what? So I'm going to, I'm going to ask a zinger question because we've been heavy with respect to the politics. And I just want to ask this just to, just to humanize this a little bit, just to have a little fun. All right. So, you know, sometimes the approach to the day requires a particular routine, you know, or, or spirit raising exercise or ritual that, you know, sometimes prepares you for, for the onslaught of activities. It, it may, it may entail prayer, you know, driving with a concert in your car on the way to work. Um, sometimes I have to do that, you know, or whatever. What, what works for you? What is your morning ritual? What, what, what gets Sunny ready to prepare some of the best food that I've seen coming out of the kitchen or tasted coming out of the kitchen? What, what gets you ready? How do you do that? Thank you for that compliment. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's a really nice question, actually. Um, well, I um, am a very spiritual person. Grew up in a very spiritual household. Um, as a, I am an Ethiopian Orthodox Christian. That's Christian. That's like ancient Christianity. Um, yes. You know, with with the foundations in Ethiopia. Um, thankfully, my parents raised me up with this spiritual faith that, um, you know, I do read the Bible. I read my Psalms every day. Um, we do say prayers. Thankfully, I'm chanting in the Ethiopian tongue because growing up in that faith, kind of get exposure to the Ethiopian language, tongue, um, and form of worship. Um, even Marcus Darby said um, to worship God through the spectacles of Ethiopia. And that is something my bring us up, put us in the faith of um, the Ethiopian Orthodox faith, especially because Haile Selassie sent it over here for the people in the diaspora. So thankfully, um, I was I, mean, I, I, I prayer is something that gets me through my day. Um, I wake up in the morning, I face the east, let the sun shine on me. Thank God for waking me up. Um, for another day, I can ask him to guide and protect my goings and comings. Um, also to give me the insight of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to complete his mission according to his divine order. Um, so, um, you know, that's how I kind of put start my mind in the morning. And um, that's how you, that's how you start your mind and get everything ready to. Yes. Like I said, pump out some of some of that best food. No, you know, you know, you know. For myself, I love that atal, that atal stew. You know, and the Jamaican and the uh, the, the jerk chicken. So, I'm I'm leaving it for the rest of our listeners. You know, to come there and, and sample that food for themselves. Oh yeah, please. please. Thank you. Thank you very much for humanizing yourself. I have a I have another question. You know, and this is, you're gonna look at me. You're gonna be like, oh my gosh, please come with that question. Okay, it's, it's a good question for you. All right. Because I want people to like, hey, you know, yeah, it's, it's ethnic discourses. They're talking about some serious stuff on that show, you know, and talking about politics and everything. But are they talking about fun? Yeah, we're talking about fun. So I have a question. All right. So what's your favorite word? Oh, hmm. I know. Huh? <laughs> um, bless. 
blessed. Blessed. Oh, of course, of course, of course. All right. So another another question for you. All right. So if you could have one superpower, and you can just be far ranging in your in your thoughts on how you develop this. If you had one superpower, what would it be and why? Hmm. No, my my son has asked me this in the past. I always said um, it would be to um, to be in one one place at one time. You know, I don't know if you would say teleport, but no, to actually be in more than one place at the same time. I completely understand what you're talking about. I I joke with I joke with some of my colleagues and some of my friends. You know that uh, all of the multitasking that I do has me doing this, that, and the other, and I wish I could develop the and develop and perfect the art of cloning myself, you yes. know, but um, I'm a social scientist, you know, so dabbling on that other end of the spectrum, you know, those failed experiments, you know, the other clone I keep falling by the wayside. So I have no help, you know, other than just myself. Exactly. But I, I I hear what you're saying. I know we're so busy, you know, with everything that we're doing. Exactly. We're so busy. But we, we so get a good fuel because the fuel is the mission, the, like completing the mission and living up to, you know, the requirements of the mission daily is the fuel. Yes. So even yes. though, you know, we're not able to physically do it, it, when we reflect on the end of the day, we find out that we've accomplished a lot more than probably the average person. So kudos to you on that. Um, and to all the entrepreneurs who are trying to, you know, live towards the mission and put the fuel towards the fire. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for putting that out there. I mean, because if we've been taught anything and I'll leave it to you to either support this or 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 compliment, it, especially during this the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, that sometimes we've had we have nobody else to draw help from other than ourselves. Yes. You know, so what whether that stirs the move for entrepreneurship, whether that stirs the move across that entrepreneurship and to develop cohorts like you and I are doing, you know, to collaborate and, and get the word out and be quite concerted in our efforts, you know, to ensure that uh, equity, you know, equitable practices and services and, and equality are, are living along the day. Sonny, this has been a rather very pleasurable experience talking to you. I mean, I, I, I mean, I have a smile on my face right now that you can probably see, but our rest of our, our, our guests can't, you know, I'm, I'm beaming from ear to ear. I think Discourse is very happy to have you, you know, on this, on this podcast. And again, so I have the, for, this, for the last question I have, you know, because we've been talking about the plate kitchen, Jamaican cuisine. So why don't you tell us some of the things that, uh, if anybody stepped into your, your restaurant, what would they be greeted with? You know, other than the smell, but what what would Lynn what would what would connect that smell to their tongue if they were to purchase something across the menu? So tell us what what lovely things that you're cooking out. Okay, so we carry the traditional Jamaican menu. So definitely, you mentioned the first thing that um, people are mostly attracted to is the smell when they walk in. That's one thing that captures them. And also um, our menu, which is very simple, not very big, but we have all the traditional Jamaican meals from oxtails to curry jerk chicken, brown stew chicken, curry chicken, the Itel stew, which is your favorite. The Itel stew <laughs> is derived from like the Rasta perspective, nothing um, processed, no processed ingredients. So everything within our Itel food is all plant. Um, Itel stew is plant-based. 
And um, it's just natural, no processed ingredients and less salt. We don't cook with much sodium. Um, so that's a good thing. And that's what we're known for. But the flavors um, coming in and hearing the reggae music, the hospita- hospitality of our um, greeters, you know, I try to encourage my staff and those people who are part of the team to um, always greet people really good, you know, because Jamaicans are known for their hospitality. So that is yes. something that um, we are definitely going to impress you with or trying our best to impress you with. Um, in addition to all the flavors and having the native spices. So thankfully, um, there are some distributors in the area who were able to get some of the ingredients that we use daily. Um, So the Jamaican flavor profile includes things like pimento and scotch bonnet, thyme, onion, garlic, scallions. Um, So we, we are able to capture the authentic taste and the authenticity of the cuisine. So I'm sure when people come in, they'll have a taste that they've never experienced before. Have a taste that they never experienced before, proffered and cooked up by a a cook who's wise beyond her years and and very world and very world traveled. Again, Sunny, Sunny, thank you very much for being on this episode of Ethnic Discourses. Again, I'm your host, Malik Abdul-Khalik. I mean, now if you have, for those who are listening, if you haven't, if if you are not salivating at the jowls right now. Uh, you haven't been listening close enough. You haven't been pining. But if you are hungry, if you live in the Sacramento region, you want to visit uh, California, please dip into the plate kitchen, Jamaican cuisine, and be offered up a taste of what Jamaica has best to offer. Thank you. Thank you very so much. much. And that's and th- now that's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Ethnic Discourses. At this time, I want to give a shout out to my musicologist, who's provided the theme song for my show, Randy Ram. Also, I want to give a shout out to Candle Wonders for providing the muted yet ambient glow in my studio. New episodes are to appear every other Wednesday. If you like my show, please subscribe. And sharing is caring. Tell somebody else.